Financial stability is one of the main goals of a person, of one person, I should say. Well, as far as I know, it basically sits on the top of the goal list of many. In this episode, I'll be having a discussion on financial stability and budgeting with the millennial money woman, also known as Fiona. Hi, neighbor. My name is Mackie, and this is the Progress Neighborhood Podcast. Hey Fiona, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, how's things? Yeah, things are going very well. It's very busy, but you know what? It's Halloween today, so happy Halloween. Happy Halloween too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, how is, how is the, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how is the COVID situation in your area? Um, you're in Florida, right? Or... Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so COVID is, you know, it's, in the beginning, so in March, it was pretty bad, actually. So it, we had, you know, curfew, essentially. Um, but now it's it's gotten a little bit better in Florida, especially the Miami area. Um, but I think the, the cases overall have been on an uptick again. So we've been, you know, in the beginning, in March, roughly, we all started working from home online. And then we, we went back to the office for a little bit because things got better but now we're working back from home again. So you can definitely see that switch, but it's, it's taken fairly seriously with the younger generation, oddly enough. And I see a lot of older folks here and they're, they're out and about without masks. So it's a little, it's a little worrisome, but uh, hopefully everyone's going to be safe and fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh first off um i'd like to thank you for accepting my uh, my uh invitation on being on my podcast um this is technically the first few times that i'd be doing podcast uh with a guest or something so yeah <laughs> yeah well how about you do you have your own podcast do i no no i don't um so i just have my blog um, the Millennial Money Woman, and um, I have I have done other podcasts, but I do not have my own podcast currently. Currently, however, that's currently. something that I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a venture to check out uh, right now because uh, apparently um, a lot of businesses or a lot of a lot of people are switching into podcasts. It's weird that um, they got into vlogging first before podcasting, mm-hmm. which is you know kind of weird but anyway starting things off I'd like to know what is the millennial money woman blog and your technically professional background or something yeah sure so um, as you said my name is the millennial money woman uh, also known as Fiona Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and my uh, I guess I'll kind of start on how I really loved and got into the whole financial literacy aspect. And that all started when I was about five or six years old. 
Um, so really young. And I got this sense that people needed to learn about money and understand basic financial literacy concepts when um, my, so my grandparents, they were basically my idols. And I, I saw them you know, firsthand build up this amazing business. It was a pretty big business empire. And they worked, I mean, day and night. We're talking probably 18 hour days, every day, weekends included. And they were gone from their family, um, you know, pouring their heart and soul into this business empire. And they made it very big. But at, you know, age 80 or so, which is when I was, you know, again, six or seven years old, they made some financial mistakes. They didn't exactly plan, financially speaking, for their business and their business empire imploded. So in other words, it just, it basically stopped. And uh, I guess due to some financial mistakes, they actually failed. And so all of their lives, decades and decades of sweat and effort poured into this business empire, poof, gone. And they mm. literally had no money to show for it, right? So they were 80 years old and they basically had $0 or negative balance in their bank account. And, you know, they basically lived their last couple of years in destitute, in poverty, although they had built this fantastic and very successful business empire. And that was when I first realized, you know, again, in my early years, that in order to be successful financially, especially in your later years in retirement, you need to make sure you have a plan in place. You want to make sure that you have a, you know, solid plan. You revisit that plan and you make sure that, you know, whatever you do now in your working years is good enough so you don't have to work and you don't have to live in poverty like my grandparents did at age 80 and beyond. So that was kind of the initial, like the genesis for my uh, curiosity in financial planning, if you will. And then I, you know, started studying in college. So we're talking age 18 to 22, roughly. Um, I started studying uh, and I got my certified financial planner degree. And what that is, it's basically a, uh, a degree that means that you're a financial ninja, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a brutal exam, lots and lots of studying. And it goes in real depth in many areas as it relates to finance. And in addition to that, I also got my master of science degree in personal financial planning. So I got these two degrees. Um, and they essentially focus very much on all aspects in financial planning. So we're talking about tax planning, investment management. We're talking about risk management, which means like insurance, health insurance, life insurance, long-term care insurance. We're talking about how to save. We're talking about, you know, so many different aspects of state planning. Um, and we, I, you know, I really learned that, but took it to heart too, because I want to help people out yeah. there that, you know, don't, that maybe are on the path to financial freedom, but haven't created a plan like my grandparents. And I want to be able to help them take control of their financial future and actually implement a plan. So that's kind of my journey. And that's the essence of the millennial money woman, my blog. So when did you, when did you start uh, being the millennial money woman or something? Great question. So um, I, out of college, I actually st I started with a boutique wealth management company and I started as a financial planner. And, you know, I always had this idea that I wanted to start my own 
blog, uh, if you will, to help people understand some basic concepts of financial literacy. My goal mm. was to, uh, you know, break down some of the more complex financial topics into something that's understandable and something that's not scary. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear about finance, they're like, oh my God, this is finance, I don't understand it. I'm going to stay away from it. So they don't even like look into it. And my goal is to make this website um, that, you know, it has cool graphics, it's broken down. It's just really easy to understand. And that all happened um, after I, so I co-founded a nonprofit about three years ago. And this nonprofit, um, it helps young professionals, millennials specifically, um, understand a little bit more about financial literacy concepts. And as I, you know, worked one-on-one -on -one with these bright, brilliant young professionals across so many different industries, we're talking from healthcare to philanthropy to, I mean, you name it, everywhere. And mm -hmm. one trait that I noticed was pretty prominent uh, between all of these industries and these really intelligent young people was that all of them did not have the basic financial literacy skills, but they wanted to learn. They just didn't know where to start. So as I really started exploring that idea of developing somehow a platform for financial literacy to help young professionals um, you know, better explore their financial literacy concepts, that was kind of the genesis. That was the start to my uh, blog, The Millennial Money Woman. And it all really started, like I, I, when I actually sat down in front of the computer uh, and started you know, creating this website was the beginning of the pandemic of this year. It's because we transitioned to home, working from home. I was able to have this you know, much greater flexibility. And that's when I sat down and I started creating this website. And now we have you know, we have over, my goodness, almost 60 art, almost 60 blog articles. We have at one point had over 200,000 Pinterest viewers per month. Now we're, you know, we have Twitter. So we built up this mass social media following um, and this blog all because of this pandemic. So it's really a matter of taking the bull by the horns, right? And <laughs> kind of steering it in your own direction. And that's what I did with my uh, website, The Millennial Money Woman. Well, uh, talking about financial literacy and something, um, uh, how how do you think one should start developing their um, actually a, an actual stick to budget or something? Because uh, I've seen I've seen friends, um, I've seen family who have used this um, a numerous apps on uh on their phones uh trying to you know hack into financial budgeting and still end up spending so much all right so uh in a perspective of a financial planner like you or financial um advisor like you uh how do you uh kind of like propose it to people on how to be financially stable in terms of budgeting their their uh, hard-earned money or something? Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. So I think um, 
the first thing that when, when people come to me and they tell me, you know, that I earn X amount of money per month, so this is how much I earn. Um, what do I do with that money? <laughs> you know, like, how do I actually spend it? Um, the first question I ask them is actually, what are your financial goals? So I actually sit down with that person and we literally develop kind of like a roadmap, if you will. And we figure out their financial goals and we allocate it in three specific columns. The first column, I call it the needs column. So what do you need to spend your money on? Um, you know, housing, is it electricity? Is it rent? You know, those are the needs. The next column is the wants. The wants is maybe upgrading your current home for a larger home. Maybe a want is to go back to college and get another degree that kind of stuff. That's a want. And then the third column I talked to them about is the wishes. So what do you really want to do with your money maybe in 10 years from now? What do you wish to do? Is it taking a big vacation to um, Africa or South America? That's a wish. And as we kind of look at their needs, wants, and wishes, we also assign a dollar value to each of those needs, wants, and wishes. So we really get a good idea of how much does each of these uh, needs, wants, and wishes cost them. And as we kind of figure out their financial goals for the short term and for the long term, we kind of then are able to develop a budget around those goals. And, you know, a lot of people I find when I talk to them about budgets, you know, they're like, oh my God, it's the B word. Ugh, I don't want to do a budget. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a scary concept. And when I ask them why it's scary, a lot of people answer, A, they don't really know how to start a budget. And B, they, you know, it, it's just always portrayed in the media as something as scary and foreign, which is why people shy away from it, right? A lot of people, they, they tend to turn the other way when they're not comfortable with something or when something is not known to them. And in this case, it's a budget. But in reality, you know, when I talk to my, the, the people that I mentor or coach, I consider a budget to be just another tool in your financial toolkit, right? It's there to help, to help you accomplish and help you achieve your future financial goals. So it's something positive, really. So now to your question of how do you actually develop a budget? So there are kind of like seven steps um, from, from my point of view. And, uh, you know, first of all, we do want to figure out your financial goals, which is already what I said, right? You want to figure out your needs, your wants, and your wishes. So that's step one. The second step is then collecting your financial information. And that means collecting your income statements, collecting your tax statements, collecting your mortgage pay, you know, how, your mortgage bill, your car loan bill, everything and anything that you can to collect documents. That's it. You're literally in a collecting document phase. If it's online, you want to print it out. You want to have it hard copy right in front of you. Every single financial document you can find, even bills, even receipts, anything. And that should be for the last three months, right? So you're trying to find bills for the last three months. The next step is actually figuring out where your money is coming from. So in other words, how do you make money, right? That's the second step. Do you make money? Some people make money just through a regular salary. It's one single income stream, and that's great. 
other people, they might be making money from their income streams of their regular salary. And in addition, maybe to selling stuff on eBay. So Mm. I want literally everything that shows that you make money. Maybe you have a roommate, that's a source of income. So that's the second or the third step in this case. The fourth step is figuring out where your money is spent. So that's where we actually refer back to all of those documents you gathered, right? So we want to, we're playing detective basically. So we're looking through all of these documents. We're figuring out, okay, 500 bucks are going to maybe my rent. Another 200 are going to my car bills. I'm spending $1,000 on groceries, right? So we're literally figuring out where your money is going to, your expenses. Mm -hmm. The fifth step is figuring out how much money is actually left over after each month. So now you're looking at your income and and then you're looking at your expenses. And now you're figuring out, okay, your income minus your monthly expenses. Do I have any money left over, which is good? Am I spending literally as much as I'm making, which means you have $0 left over? That's probably not the best situation. And then do I actually have less money uh, or am I going into debt at the end of the month? In other words, you're spending more money than what you're actually making. And that's the worst situation. You never want to go into debt. So after that step, we're going to um, the, the second to last step, which is assigning a purpose for each dollar. So now that you know if you have a lot of money left over, if you're spending exactly as much as you're making, or if you have less money left over compared to what you're making, you want to figure out where should my money be going to? How much should be going to housing? How much should be going to, for example, paying off a credit card? And as you slowly allocate each dollar to each category, if you will, mm-hmm. um, you can figure out, okay, I need to cut down my spending on groceries, or I need to cut down my spending on, for example, going out to eat to restaurants, which has happened to me. Um, And then the last step is just really trying to be flexible. And by flexibility, I mean, you know, life happens. Life is going to throw curveballs your way. So I have a dog, for example, and Mm -hmm. actually this Monday, I'm going to bring him to the vet. And, uh, you know, the vet is probably going to cost me a couple hundred dollars for my dog. And how am I going to balance my budget? And this is where it comes down to flexibility, because, you know, maybe you have an extra hundred dollar unexpected expense one month. That means, you know, maybe you're going to spend a hundred dollars less in another category. Um, So it's really all about flexibility. And that's why a budget is super, super helpful. And Um, I'm going to share actually four uh, budgeting rules of thumb, if you will, because people might be asking, you know, Mm -hmm. how much should I actually be spending toward housing and how much should I be spending toward credit card debt? So I'm going to give you a couple of numbers here to follow. Um, And these numbers, they're developed by the Certified Financial Planner Board, the CFP Board. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, something else to remember these numbers, they're really just rules of thumb. So obviously, you know, they're not end all be all, but they're kind of a good way to follow your spending patterns by. So the first one is how much should you be spending toward your housing debt, right? How much should you be spending for living expenses? And that answer is it should be about less than 28% of whatever you make per month. 
So your gross monthly income, that's before taxes are taken out, before any deductions, mm -hmm. should be less than 28%. That's toward housing. The second rule of thumb is monthly consumer debt. And what that means is, for example, credit card payments, right? So your total monthly consumer debt payments should be less than 20% of your net monthly income. And to define net, net means, you know, your monthly income after taxes have been taken out and after any other deductions. So a net number is smaller than a gross number. And the third rule of thumb is total monthly debt payments. So that includes your housing debt, your credit card debt, your student loan debt, your car debt, all of that per month should be less than 36% of your gross monthly income. And then finally, people might be asking, okay, how much should I actually be saving or investing toward my retirement? And the answer here is, um, if you really want to be financially free at an early age, you know, typically you should aim for actually saving and investing more than 30% of what you make per year. And the reason why I say 30% is because if you do want to achieve financial freedom at an early age, right, you want to be above average, sometimes you have to do things that are not average. And the average rule of thumb actually is about saving or investing 10 to 15%. That's what the average person does. But if you want to be above average, you want to actually do more than what the average person does. So in this case, 30% or more of your annual income, you want to save and invest. Hmm. Well, those are good points, actually. Well, uh, Fiona, moving forward, um, can can you talk? I'm just I'm just curious. Can you talk me through that situation in your in your financial uh, journey on, of course, financial literacy, budgeting, and um, being a financial advisor or something? There's, there's, I assume there's this one moment wherein, um, in your life as a person, uh, that you realize that Eureka, I, well, technically I have, I have figured it out how to, um, technically manage my finances, um, at the right tempo. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. So obviously, like you said, every person at some point in their lives figures out, oh my gosh, this is, this is what I've done. And this has really helped me. And I, I feel like I feel so much better, right? I have more peace of mind because I know I'm going toward my financial goals. So that moment actually came to me um, when I was talking to one of the people for my nonprofit organization. And we were talking actually about their budget and about their financial habits. And um, that's when I figured it out. You know, I was helping someone. And I think by helping someone, I actually helped myself in that situation, which is quite ironic. Um, but I was very lucky to realize that in order to develop a positive financial habit, right, a habit, that's the mm -hmm. key word you need to probably stick to a consistent behavior or a consistent pattern for roughly 60 days or a little bit over 60 days before it becomes an automated behavior. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking through 
that information with the person I was helping out at that time, I realized that you really have to be consistent with whatever financial habit you're doing to help you accomplish your financial goals. So for example, I thought at first, you know, being a financial success meant, okay, you just need to save as much as you can, dump it into the stock market, and that's it. And as I was really thinking about that, I realized that was wrong because you don't want to do just one amazing feat, right? Like save $10,000, boom, dump it into the stock market and walk away and never worry about money again. Because that's not necessarily the best approach to becoming financially independent for young professionals, especially. Um, the real approach is consistency. And that's kind of what I learned when I was working with that person, with my, men with my mentee. And mm -hmm. consistency means, you know, you stick to your plan, whatever it is, right? If your plan is to save $10 a week or $50 a week then every week you actually go ahead and you save $50 and you invest it in the stock market. You put it into your checking account, whatever it is that your plan, that your plan has set forth. But the point is you show up every single day and you don't miss a single day either. And I kind of uh, compare that to dieting, right? Dieting is something that a lot of us understand because at one point or another, uh, you know, 90% of us have likely tried out dieting, myself included. <laughs> so, you know, obviously in dieting, you want to stick to a specific diet plan that you set out for you because you want to hit a goal, be it lose five pounds, be it, you know, gain muscle, be it whatever it is. Um, but the point is you're trying to stick to your diet plan. You're trying to, uh, you know, eat the right amount of food every single day for a certain number of days in order to hit that goal. And the same thing goes with finance, right? Every day, every week, every month, you're trying to practice these healthy financial habits in order to hit your long-term goal. And that's just the thing. In finance, to be successful, A, you need to be consistent, but B, you also need to have that long-term mindset, right? So Becoming successful in finances, be it paying off your debt, be it becoming a millionaire, whatever it is, it's likely not going to happen tomorrow unless, you know, you either get an inheritance or you, you know, win the lottery, for example. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a long-term, it's going to be a long-term victory, really, right? It can be decades ahead of you. So mm -hmm. maintaining that long-term mindset and being consistent with your saving and investing plan those are really the two major ingredients to becoming successful. And, you know, when I, when I figured that out, when I had that eureka moment, right, like you said, it was, it was kind of revolutionary because I thought, you know, to be successful in finance, you'd have to have this fancy degree or have to be in finance for 20 years in order to be successful or be a day trader. And the thing is, you don't have to be a day trader. And you don't have to go to a fancy college with a fancy degree to be successful. You really don't. All you need is just motivation. You need to be disciplined. So you're mm -hmm. consistent in your strategy and you need to have that long-term mindset. So those are really the two key ingredients to be successful. And that's, you know, it's, it's surprising, but hopefully your audience takes that to heart mm -hmm. and is able to accomplish their financial goals that way. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I'm taking down notes as we speak. So, yeah. That's great. That's <laughs> yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, personally, I have um, 
of course, as a startup entrepreneur myself, um, I do, uh, you know, check my streamline of finances every now and then because um, technically as a startup, I split up my personal finance to uh, split it in an amount wherein I could I could also pitch or invest in my own ventures or something like that. So uh, your pointers um, are pretty much, I think, pretty much working for me right now because um, uh, as I've said, I'm taking down notes and I was like uh, starting to figure things out and all. So uh, with all of the steps that you have mentioned and uh, with all of the uh, points that you have pointed out, um, do you think that everyone has the capability to be financially stable or what is the basic standard of someone who is financially stable yeah definitely so I, I mean first of all i'm glad to hear that you know you find that these pointers are definitely working for you as a startup entrepreneur so that's mm. that's great to hear yeah <laughs> Um, so regarding financial stability, so I think first of all, what would help is actually defining financial stability for your audience. So um, I'm going to go ahead, go ahead and do that. So financial stability really means that, you know, you're debt free, so you don't have any more debt. You are able to pay your monthly living expenses with extra money that's left over each month, right? So remember back to the situation I explained before in the budgeting process, mm -hmm. there are three outcomes. You have money left over at the end of the month, you spend exactly as much as you make, or you go into debt. And in this case, to be financially stable, you have money left over at the end of the month. And that is in partly done by budgeting. Um, and the third point of the definition of financially st st financial stability is freedom to do whatever, whenever, and without worrying that you'll not have the money to support it. And I thought that was pretty interesting because that kind of explains, you know, financial freedom in a nutshell, mm -hmm. which, you know, also relates to having all bills being met, investing however you want, saving however you want, and really having no debt. So I think those are really the big pointers for the definition of financial stability. And now to your question of how do you actually become financially stable? Mm -hmm. And I hear you. I mean, it's hard nowadays. I mean, at least in America, you know, 78%, 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck in the U.S., you know, I mean, it's the, the statistics are staggering. Mm -hmm. And moreover, you know, 30% of people, again, in the US, at least, they do not have an emergency savings fund. And, you know, if, if there is an unexpected expense, boy, that can really, you know, that yeah. can really hurt them. It's yeah, you know, the, the peace of mind, like you being able to sleep soundly at night, that can mm -hmm. be really disrupted with the financial stress. So how do you become financially stable? So I think the first step is really creating a plan. And by a plan, I mean a physical plan. So you take pen to paper and you actually write down, again, what are your financial goals? What are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Because this writing down your goals 
is going to serve as kind of the destination, if you will, of a roadmap that you'll be creating to get to that destination, to achieve your financial goals. And that roadmap, that's your budget that we spoke about before. So we're actually going to create a budget to make sure your financial goals will be met. So again, that budget is considered that tool to help you accomplish those goals. So after writing that physical plan, right, what goals you want to achieve, how you're spending your money, where your money is going, and then trying to figure out how much money you can save, the next step is really just consistency. So that kind of drives back to the point we were just discussing just a couple of minutes ago, being consistent with your plan. The second, or I'm sorry, the third point is actually having an accountability partner. And mm-hmm. an, accountabil- an accountability partner is essentially someone that it's a third person, right? It's a third party. And they help you stay on track with your financial plan or with your financial goals. And um, I thought this was really cool when I first started reading about accountability partners because they can be anyone from a trusted friend to possibly a financial planner, to maybe someone that you don't really know, but you know has been a close or a a mentor maybe of yours, right? The point is it's someone that can keep you on track. It's kind of like a form of social peer pressure, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So they basically every month or every week, they follow up with you and they're like, hey, what you told me last month that you're going to be spending $100 less on going out to restaurants. Did you actually do that? Right. So they check in with you. They make sure that whatever you told them the month before is what you're actually doing. And believe it or not, an accountability partner actually really helps. It has helped me for sure. And it also helps couples, you know, trying to work out a household budget or a family budget. They really do make the trick. Um, So that's the third point, an accountability partner. And the last point, what does it take to be financially stable is really having that long-term mindset. Because I know a lot of people, they are impatient when it comes to, you know, not seeing immediate progress. So for example, I can, I can share a story where one of my mentees, you know, I was helping her um, pay off about $29,000 of credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And this credit card debt was all based on medical uh, bills, basically. And she was, I think she was, you know, late 20s, earning a decent salary. And, you know, she just wanted to pay off this $29,000. And we figured out a budget. We figured out where to trim back her living expenses in order to pay off that credit card debt. But we didn't see the progress within the next, you know, few months because it just takes time. And she got really impatient. And, you know, at one point she was like, well, I'm never going to pay this off. So I'm just going to stop with the plan. I'm going to, you know, live my life and just expect to be in debt forever. And the thing is, you know, you can't go like that, right? You can't be impatient to amass wealth. So to build wealth or to pay off debt, it just takes time. But, you know, that's just the fun of it, right? It's part of the journey. And in 10 years from now, 20 years from now or so, you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, I actually managed to pay off debt in X amount of years. And now I'm living so much better than I did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So it's really just a matter of the journey that you're going through. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of being 
and that long-term mindset, that long-term perspective. And if you maintain that long-term mentality, that will bring you through those ups and downs in the short term. Because again, you won't be seeing that success, that, that payoff right away. It's just going to take time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, um, given the generation right now, Fiona, that we have, uh, I don't know, I'm not really sure in America, but at least in here in the Philippines and uh, in my hometown in Dublin, um, uh, kids are technically, uh, what do you call this, not thrifty or something, or they're not really into budgeting or something, but then um, there is this point wherein they wanted to be financially stable, but then um, the influences around them, their their environment, the the capability or that the accessibility of online shopping and uh, everything um, that could hinder them from being financially stable or financially independent. So uh, my question is, what are your top three advice that you can give to the young generation for them to become financially independent? Uh, yeah, three advices that they could they could really understand or without being so technical or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, you, you definitely nailed it there that, you know, especially today, our society, it seems like it's a lot more consumer driven than, mm -hmm. um, you know, other things, saving driven, for example. So I understand, you know, everything around us, it has a call to action, like, buy this now or limited yeah. edition go and you know buy it before they run out so yeah it's it's definitely difficult to say no especially when you know it's kind of a form of social peer pressure if you will so i understand it because i've been there um you know for example i was with my friends and they were planning to go out to a bar uh, basically every single day of the week. And, you know, I was following a strict budget because I had to save money. And I, I, was, I was basically named the Debbie Downer because I was like, you know what, I can't do it. I really can't go out every night, spend $10, $15 on a drink because in the end it's going to be adding up. And mm -hmm. it, it takes a certain amount of you know, will to actually stand up to your friends and say, listen, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it because I'm following a budget or I, I just don't have the money. And I, I wish, I really wish that, you know, the media, for example, would portray that as like, wow, this person is really looking out for themselves and their financial response, like their financial future. Um, and instead they're more portrayed like the Debbie Downer, right? Like the mm -hmm. person that puts a stop to the fun. Um, and it, it really is difficult and it's unfortunate. So if there are cases like that, right, where you're, you're, you found, you find yourself being sucked into either buying the newest pair of shoes or clothes or going out to eat a bunch of times with your friends, you know, a great alternative to that could simply be suggesting a more cost-effective alternative such as, and this is what I did. You know, if friends want to go out to a restaurant, you can tell them, hey, why don't you guys come to my house and we watch a movie and mm -hmm. you guys bring, you know, like spaghetti, one person, the other person brings dessert, the other person brings an appetizer. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, they, it's still a gathering, it's still social, but at the same time, it's cost effective for everyone. Um, so I think that would be a great alternative. The second mm-hmm. thing I would suggest is, you know, possibly su- saying to your friends, um, y- you know, I, I can only spend X amount of dollars this month. If, if you want to go out with me tonight, great. But that means I can't go out in the future. So kind of like setting up, setting an upfront expectation so that your friends know exactly you're happy to go out with them. But if you go out with them today, that means you can't go out with them, you know, two days from now or whatever it is. So I think that's, that's good too, giving that upfront expectation. So your friends are able to figure out, okay, I want, I want this person to go out with me tonight. Uh, and that means I can't go out with them in the next week. So it's, again, it's giving them the expectation and giving them the control of when and how they would want you to go out with them. Um, you know, another thing that I think is helpful in this situation is for our young generation, it's all about, right, a click of a button, like on Amazon Prime, right? You can click, you can buy something, and you don't actually see the money leave your account. The same thing goes with the credit card. So a credit card, you swipe it, the money's gone, you don't actually see it physically leaving your hands, though. So it's really easy to buy things nowadays. And I think that's one of the reasons why we overspend so much. It's because the simplicity factor, it's so easy to spend money. So in this case, what I've advised, and believe it or not, nine times out of 10, it actually works, is you essentially withdraw physical money from the ATM or from the bank, right? You go to your bank, Mm -hmm. withdraw the same amount of money that it costs you to live each month. So if it costs you to live, I don't know, $2,000 each month, you withdraw $2,000 at the beginning of the month. And you have these nice, crisp, clean, good smelling bills in your hand, right? And you go home and I advise to have these two jars, right? One jar would be labeled as your uh, money that's not spent. The second jar would be labeled money that is spent. And obviously want to have these jars in like, you know, a pretty safe environment. Maybe you have it in a vault or something. You don't want it to be stolen. But the point is this, as you spend money through a credit card or through an online shopping portal like Amazon, you want to actually physically remove the money from the jar in the equivalent amount that you actually spent it online. So if you spent $250 online for a new, I don't know, dress or whatever, whatever it is, right? For something that you bought on Amazon, you Mm. go into your jar that says not spent, you open that jar and you actually physically take out $250 and you put it into the jar that says spent. So now you physically see a difference in the amount of money that you can spend still, right? Minus the 250 you just spent and Mm. the jar that shows spent money. So you see the $250 in there. So it's a really good psychological way for the young generation to try to keep their budget in track. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if maybe if you don't want to do that, if you, if you think the jar technique is, you know, too, you know, out of your comfort zone, another way is literally just going to the store and physically spending, you know, your crisp dollar bills instead of your credit card. So if you go to the grocery store, instead of spending it with a credit card, you give them $100, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's the point, though, is this. The fact that you see the physical money leaving your hands 
will very likely decrease the amount of money you spend. And I think that's why the young generation has such an issue with spending because we don't actually see that physical money leave our hands. It's just a swipe of a credit card and it's just a click of a button. That simplicity really makes it more difficult to track your spending patterns. Mm. Well, yeah, well, as of now, I can say that this podcast has um, turned into a financial masterclass. Thanks to you, uh, the millennial money woman, Fiona. Um, before we go, uh, would you like to promote anything? Ah, uh, yes. Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much for having me and for your audience having me. I really hope that, you know, some of the things that we went over today would, will bring value to your audience. And mm -hmm. it was my absolute pleasure to help and be on here. So thank you for, for having me. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I just followed you on Twitter and, um, I don't know if you noticed it or something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw it and I, I obviously see your, your profile and I think it's so great to be connected with like uh, entrepreneurs out there mm -hmm. you know, from all across the world. It's, it's so wonderful. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, but yeah, so definitely if, you know, your audience is looking to maybe get a little bit more financial advice, um, not just about budgeting, but about, you know, life insurance, health insurance, about housing costs, about buying a new home, et cetera. You can always find me on my website, themillennialmoneywoman.com. Um, if you want to send me an email, feel free to. There is a tab on the top right-hand side that says contact. Always feel free to contact me. My email address is themillennialmoneywoman at gmail.com. I'm happy to you know, answer any questions uh, you know, or just connect with you and engage. So that's my website. I'm also available, like you just said, on Twitter. My Twitter contact information is at the underscore MMW. Mm -hmm. And if you prefer Pinterest, feel free to reach out to me on Pinterest as well. You just go search the millennial money woman and it should pop up there. And I really hope to, you know, see more of you and engage with you. Yeah, well, I, I technically look forward on um, having you just a heads up uh a friend of mine who is also a financial advisor and a partner in uh in our startup company um uh we're technically starting this uh morning show um or like a radio show mm -hmm. uh, and we'd like to have you on board soon again because you know having two financial advisors on board could you know trigger something or open up something or or define something or whatsoever right so again thank you so much fiona um for for everything actually i mean i i've learned a lot in that a couple of minutes or something so uh i hope that i could still invite you in the future episodes of the progress neighborhood podcast right? I, I would love to i would i would absolutely love to be a part of this so i, I really appreciate you thinking of me and and for the consideration yeah i'd mm -hmm. love to be a part of it yeah so um uh don't hang up i'll get back to you in a minute all right thank you again okay. fiona thank you